That's a really high note she ends on, just saying. <laughs> Good morning. I am Jack Guerra. I'm one of the pastors here at Spring Lake Church, and we're going to continue in the valley today and see where we can find hope in it. Would you turn with me, please, to Psalm 73? Psalm 73 in your Bible, on your mobile device. If you just want to Google Psalm 73, it'll bring you there. We're going to talk through the, the whole chapter that, uh, today. As you're turning there, let me tell you about our congregational meeting yesterday. We talked through some future events, some things to come. We celebrated some great victories that have happened in ministry this year. We voted on the budget, on some new elders, and everything passed. You'll get the information on that in the newsletter in the week to come. Uh, we'll probably talk about it next weekend as well. So that's all good news. So I want to thank you, first of all, for those of you who are able to come out. Like I said, everything passed. Secondly, I want to thank you to all of you, say thank you, who came out and handled our shocking announcement so well. I mean, that's a big thing to make an announcement on. Uh, if you weren't there, I'm not going to tell you, but please know. And as I say that, some of you are like, wait, that's not fair. And there was no shocking announcement, I'll tell you that. But what I want you to do is think about those opportunities in life where either you felt left out, you didn't get an opportunity, somebody knew something you didn't, or they got the breaks and you got left behind. Today we're going to talk about the fact that life is not fair. Some of you hear me say that and you're going, it's not that bad. I mean, it's going as expected or I'd hoped. All is good, bills are paid, loved ones are healthy. Seems pretty fair to me. There are others of you, you hear what I'm saying and you're dealing with sickness yourself. Maybe catastrophic things that have happened with family or friends. The money keeps coming up short and your boss is a jerk. You got passed over for a promotion. Maybe worse, maybe you got shown the door. And these are tough enough. These type of situations are bad enough when they happen, but they're even worse when someone who is just a low-level, low-class, no-morals, no-character person gets all the breaks that you're watching pass by you. You studied your heart out for a C-, and they cheated their way to an A. It doesn't seem fair. You worked hard for the promotion and they backstabbed and lied the way into the position you wanted. You poured yourself into your marriage while they cheated and lied and they move on with a smile and you're crushed. You prayed and nothing happened. They live like the devil and everything worked out. It's not fair, God, why do I keep ending up with the short end of the stick? Why do you keep allowing bad people to have the good things happen? Why do they get the blessing upon blessing? And some of you hear this, and, and I've heard this, that well, you're a pastor, you don't have to worry about that. As a matter of fact, I was on, on a two-week road trip, went and saw family from Ohio all the way down to the Carolinas, just drove it, needed to get my head clear, it was great to get away. But I met a friend of one of my family members who's been kind of following. They haven't been going to church. Actually, they may be joining us this morning. They've been watching Spring Lake online. And he's going through some stuff that I just finished going through with Gina. And one of his first statements to me was, I thought you pastors got a pass. And I said, if I got a pass, it got lost in the mail. <laughs> Life 
isn't always fair. How is God good? How is this fair when the bad guys keep winning? Everybody feeling good about being in church right now? (laughs) In this series, we're talking about being in the valley. Rough seasons of life. And watching life unfold in a way that seems unfair can be depressing. It can be hard to face if you keep, if it, uh, it can keep you from the mountaintop and put you in the valley. I love Psalm 73 because the writer, we'll talk about him in just a minute, had, he doesn't mince words. He doesn't candy coat it. He is very real with what he's been facing in life, what he sees going on. It's a very gut level response, honest confession of the exact feelings. My guess is when you read it, you're gonna go, yeah, me too. We've all been in those places. Now, this Psalm is not written by King David. David writes a lot of the Psalms in the Bible. This one is written by a gentleman by the name of Asaph, A-S-A-P-H. Asaph was the lead musician of all of Israel during David's time and many believe during Solomon's time. He led the choirs in the uh, the temple um, and he was one of the key music writers. Think Justin Bieber of his day. So he steps out and he writes many of the Psalms and Psalms are songs. He writes these songs for people to remember and grab, grab hold of. And in this, we're gonna see some very key truths about God when life seems unfair. Before we can do that, though, we have to address the problem. We have to see the question, the problem that's being asked. Here's what it is. How is God good when the wicked thrive? How can we say God is good when the wicked are thriving? Let's start reading Psalm 73. We're gonna read verses one through 14. It says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, almost gave up on God. I almost quit. Why? Verse three, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They had no struggles Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Here's Asaph saying, I'm trying to follow God and these wicked people, prosperous, no struggles, healthy, strong, free of burdens. Something's not adding up. Verse six, therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. Another translation says they get everything they dream of. Verse eight, they scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Asaph is saying the way they live, the pride, the violence, the cruelty, callous, hearts, evil imaginations, they get all the stuff they're dreaming about. And this picture of the the necklace that they wear, another wording could be the ring that they wear. These are signs of power. These are what you would boast about. Your family insignia may be on the ring. And Asaph is saying they brag about their positions of authority are based on how bad they are. Why are they getting all of the breaks? Verse nine, their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, the people turn to them and drink up waters. They drink up everything that they say in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the most high know anything? 
This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Another translation says, every morning brings me new pain. So we've got them, wicked, getting rich, everything going well, and then Asaph says, you got me trying to do the right thing, trying to have a right and innocent heart, and every day is pain. Hey, God, how is this fair? How are you good? Charles Spurgeon was a pastor several years ago. He had a couple of quotes that I love about this passage. He says, it's a pitiful thing that an heir of heaven should have to confess I was envious But worse still, that he should have to put it, I was envious of the foolish. Another quote that he has, he says, while many saints are poor and afflicted, the prosperous sinner is neither. He is worse than other men, and yet he is better off. He plows least, and yet has the most stuff. He deserves the hottest hell, and yet has the warmest bed. It doesn't seem... Fair. Asaph, our writer, is bringing us to a very real issue, but he also introduces us to a very real solution. Here's the second thing we see in this passage is the solution. We've got to get godly perspective on what's going on. We need a godly perspective of what's going on. I love how he starts this next section. Asaph catches himself, pulls back his words, because this isn't about smearing God's character. Verse 15, he said, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. Side note, do we know we don't need to voice everything we're thinking? Do we understand we don't need to post how we feel every day? That's a message for a different day. Verse 16, Asaph says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until, circle that word, Highlight it in your Bible. Until I entered the sanctuary of God. Until I entered the presence of God. The house, the church of God. Then, he says, light bulb moment. Then I understood their final destiny. I stopped seeing things in the short term. This is my wording. He stopped seeing things in the short term perspective and starts looking at it from an eternal perspective. This isn't on your outlines, but it's in the passage, verse 18 and 19. He says, surely you place them on slippery ground and you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed completely, swept away by terrors. Asaph is saying, I tried to understand this on my own. I tried to figure it out. I'm looking at life in the moment and A plus B is not equaling C. But then I got in the presence of God and I started looking from a kingdom, a God perspective. And it changed the way I view things. He says it no longer is something that I carry the burden of. I get into God's house and get a hold of his way of thinking. By prayer and worship in the sanctuary, Asaph understood that God was at the center of all things. And he gained a fresh appreciation of both God and eternity. By hearing the word of God in the sanctuary, he understood that there was a truth that went beyond what he saw and experienced in everyday life. This isn't all that there is. By observing sacrifice 
at the sanctuary, he understood that God takes sin so seriously that it must be judged and atoned for, even if it is by an innocent victim who stands in the place of those uh, of guilty by faith. This is a picture of Jesus. It doesn't make sense right now, but everyone's guilty. All of us in this room are guilty. And when we look at our guilt and our sin from an eternal perspective, we thank God for Jesus. When we look at what's going on in life around us and when it seems like, the, like evil is winning, keep an eternal perspective. God is not done. Adam Clark, another pastor from years gone by, he had a quote, it's a little longer, but I'd like to read it. It says, this is one of God's greatest purposes in establishing a place where his people can come to meet him. It is never to imply that there is only one or only a few places where man can meet with God or that they must be ornate or glorious buildings. It is to emphasize that it is good to have a place to separate from other places where we can focus on a heavenly, eternal perspective. Our goal on a Sunday morning is not goosebumps in the moment. Our goal on a Sunday morning is hopefully to bring the scriptures to you in a way that you understand now. Yes, it'll help you now, but you get the eternal perspective of who Jesus is and what he did and that this life in this moment isn't all there is. Pick your eyes up, the Bible says, and look out because God has got it. Isaiah tells us he knows the end from the beginning and we're stuck in the middle and we can't see the end of the story. Adam Clark goes on to say, when Asaph went to the sanctuary of God, it only did him good because he connected with eternity. Something that made him understand the end of the wicked. He didn't need to go to the house of God to hear about the news of today or the same talk one would hear in the marketplace or the business office. Asaph needed the ultimate relevance, the relevance of eternity. If you are waiting for headline news to help you make sense of what's fair and what's not, you will continue in a downward spiral. Headlines that sell are usually not good news. We have to have an eternal perspective. You need people around you who can help you have an eternal perspective. We need times of corporate worship. I'm gonna go back to my own life right now. I thank God for an elder board and a staff that allowed me to step back, especially from January to June, when it felt like the world was just collapsing around me. And I was able to not have to worry about preparing a message or any type of meeting, elder meeting, nothing. Just take care of what's in front of me one day at a time. And I'm telling you, when I walked into services Saturday night, Sunday morning here downtown, I was the desert that needed rain. I came in going, God, you have got to meet me right here and now. I didn't come in making sure the lights were right and the sound was perfect and looking at dress code. No, I came in saying, God, I've got to meet with you because it doesn't feel very fair right now. And being able to worship can give you a whole new perspective. Do you realize when we gather, when we worship, we are doing in this place what heaven is doing in that place? What believers and saints of old are doing in the presence of God by worshiping him is what we're doing now. That is an eternal perspective. Not the headlines, not the, the, the quick pop-up ads, 
Get an eternal perspective of what's going on. It was in this environment that Asaph gets the wake-up call. Here's the wake-up call, the realization. God gives guidance to our wrong thinking. God gives guidance to our wrong thinking. Asaph saying, my feet almost slipped. I almost went off the path. I was almost done with God, but then he gave me a clearer vision. He gave me a better picture of the future. Pick up reading at verse 21. It says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. Another translation says, yet I still belong to you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. God will give guidance but it will cut against the grain of how you may be viewing things right now. Don't get stuck in the moment. Don't get stuck in the one class you're having so much trouble in. Don't get so myopic on that relationship that may be tearing you apart. When you sit down to do bills, you may not see where the rest of the money is coming from. We need to be wise in these things, but we also need to have a bigger Perspective. Asaph is basically saying that the filter was off in his mind. The God filter was off. My heart was turning against you, God, and it didn't seem fair. But you didn't quit on me. God, you gave me and held me by my right hand. The right hand was a sign of relationship. God, you never broke relationship with me, even when I was questioning you. God, it's not fair. Stay with me. Keep walking with me. You held me by my right hand. God, you were patient with me. You gave me good counsel. And after I got out of my stinking thinking, I was able to see the bigger picture. This isn't the final destiny. This isn't the final chapter. Some of you may be in the point of life right now, similar maybe to what I just finished, where you look at this chapter you're in and you're thinking to yourself, if this was the last chapter, I don't know that I'd have bought this book but it's not done. It's not over. The chapters are still being written and there's only one author. Keep moving forward. Keep holding on. Even when it doesn't seem fair, even when you're in the valley, remember you're not there alone. I'm grateful that this isn't the last chapter and we have a God who knows the end from the beginning. Here's the conclusion of what Asaph has to say. Life won't make sense until we view it with an eternal perspective. Life will not make sense until we view it with an eternal perspective. Beginning at verse 25, it says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. Can we say that one part together? But as for me, it is good to be near God. Let's say it again. But as for me, it is good to be near God. Don't forget that. Note to self as well. Don't forget that. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. I'm going to close with one last very simple illustration. I moved here nine years ago from Florida. Now, I had lived in the north but then I was eight plus years in Florida. So my understanding of how things worked kind of went to a Florida mindset, including gardening. 
So I'm, I love gardening. I deal with plants. After dealing with people, plants don't talk back. They don't critique your sermon. It's wonderful. <laughs> so I'm putting plants in the ground. The thing is, in Florida, my gardens would last for 10 months. I didn't have to plant much at all. Just go out and weed, watch for fire ants. It was awesome. I had, I kid you not, I had a uh, collard green plant that grew for years. If I'm not wrong, I think it grew for four years. It was a tree. I finally had to cut it down because the leaves got so tough. But everything just grew. Flowers, they'd stay all year long. I forgot when I moved up here that snow happens. And I'm looking at my gardens. I'm looking at the stuff we planted. I put, you know, did some landscaping at the house we bought uh, the, when we first moved here. And come October, everything starts dying. And I'm like, no, everything I've just done is dead. Man, I just wasted my time. And Gina, growing up in Ohio, don't worry, it comes back. In my mind, I'm looking October, November, December, and I'm like, no, it's not. January, February, March, no, it's not. Remember seasons of life. Remember there are seasons of life. Some of you right now are in December and January. It may be September outside, but you're living December, January, and February. And it doesn't seem fair, and it seems dark and bleak, and the streetlight's coming on at 3.30. And then we see April and May, and things begin to pop out of the ground just a little bit. And part of you wants to have hope, and part of you has been so dashed by the past that you're like, I don't want to get my hopes up. Because life can be cruel. And May hits and things begin to grow and you got to weed around it. And maybe you got to fertilize it and, and feed it a little bit. And then June hits and you start seeing fruit. Okay, July. July hits and you start seeing fruit to everything you've been planting. And what seemed dead four months ago, five months ago, six months ago, seven months ago was lying in wait for the right season. Yes, life can be cruel and seem unbelievably unfair, but please don't get stuck and seeing it in a short time. Yes, we go through the valley, but we don't go through it alone. And his rod and his staff will comfort us. Hang in there. When it hurts now, it's hard to think of the long term. And isn't that strange though? Because that's exactly what the Bible tells us to do. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I don't know what season you're in. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what point in life you're in where maybe you're coming out of a season of seeing unfair. unfair. Maybe, maybe just life in general for you. You look back and it's like, it's unfair. It's hard maybe to see what God's been up to. You feel like life has been a winter and not just because you live in Green Bay. I want to pray for those of you who maybe have gotten stuck, not just in life, but in your view of life, in your understanding of life. And you just see things as, God hates me. Or maybe like Asaph, you may be watching online, you may be in the room and you're saying, I'm one step from quitting. First of all, I want to encourage you, keep coming to the house of the Lord. Stay in relationships that help you see the bigger picture. Have those voices of wisdom who can help you and walk with you through the valley. 
listen for the leading of the Holy Spirit because he goes through it with you. But if you're in life right now, you're looking at the season and you're going, I'm in the valley. I'm tired of seeing things be so unfair. If that's where you are, would you just raise your hand up and I want to pray with you as we close the message. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Father, we lift this season up to you. Because there are a lot of us who may be looking at the calendar, wondering if winter is ever going to end, wondering if this season ever comes to an end, wondering if anything will ever seem fair or we'll catch a break. But Jesus, help us to remember that you walk with us. Our steps are ordered of you for those who are following you. Lord, for some who may have been pushing you away, been trying to say, I'm done with doing it that way. I'll try it myself. God, help us to live in a place of surrender to you and realize that even when it doesn't make sense, the author knows the story. You know how this thing is going to end. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for those in this room. I pray for those online. God, give us the strength to keep our trust in you one day at a time. One day at a time. Like it says in your word, don't worry about tomorrow because today we'll have enough trouble of its own. God, our sights are set on you and you are where our hope lies. In Christ's name we pray.